Hey, this is Pastor Rob Miller from Reclamation Church. Just want to say thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray that this message is completely life-giving and life-changing and that you take the blessing of the Word of God with you everywhere you go this week and pour into somebody else around you. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. On the count of three, I just need somebody to shout Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus! Amen. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Uh, we're not really in a series right now. What I like to do typically is, is do a series. Uh, we just finished our 13, we'll call it 13 week long series called Believe a few weeks ago. Uh, we finished it with some baptisms on the 4th of July out at the David Etheridge Farm. Thank you, David Etheridge, for letting us use your facilities again. Uh, that was an incredible day. Uh, incredible day out there celebrating baptisms and just celebrating freedom, just not freedom in our nation, but freedom in Christ Jesus. It was a beautiful day. Uh, so we typically, I like to do series. Why? Because I know where I'm going. I know, hey, I, next week, I know what I'm preaching on. I don't, we're not in a series right now. So I struggled this week. God, where am I going? Where, what am I preaching on on Sunday? Uh, and so about Friday night, which is one of those last-minute things. I was like, God, what am I doing? And I had to sit down with a couple of uh, gents here from the church and uh, was inspired by some of the things that they were saying. And uh, Saturday, I sat down to, to do some notes, and it just flowed. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, so I believe this is a message for today, too. And if you were here last week, we did a message. Uh, I spoke on a message called A, a, a Table Surrounded. And it was not just a message for Reclamation Church. I believe it was a message for the church at large, the body of Christ. Um, we looked at the, the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and how the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Mayanites, like all of these people were coming against the kingdom of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, rather than complaining to people and rather than posting it on his social media, oh no, help me, and starting a GoFundMe page, right? Rather than doing that, he sought the face of God. He stopped everything, and he made God the priority. And in that prayer, in that time, we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in that moment, he sought God's face, he praised God above everything else, and then brought the need before God. And it was there in that moment, in the assembly of the people, he brought the people together. See, there was unity in the body. Um, this morning, Pastor Tim, our Connections Pastor, was uh, pouring into us during our serve rally and reminded us of, of the power of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and how in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, wait for me in Jerusalem and you will be endued with power from on high. And in, in Acts chapter, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the remotest parts of the world. Without that power, you lack your ability to witness. And so in Acts chapter 2, we look at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they, they were able to reach thousands of people in the area. 3,000 men were saved that day. But it only happened because they were unified in body and in pursuit and in focus in the upper room. And so what we talked about last week, Jehoshaphat brought the assembly together. He brought the people together. They were unified. And in their unity... God revealed the answer. And I want to kind of reiterate that this morning. Without the power, without, without the unity of the church, we lack the power of the Holy Spirit. A divided church can't stand. And that's the first thing the enemy wants to do is to infiltrate and divide the body of Christ. 
so that he can attack us. And we've been seeing years of just confusion from the enemy come upon the church. And I believe we're entering into the season now where, it, where confusion will set upon the enemy. But there's a role that the church has to play in that. Amen. And that no matter what's coming against us and what's falling around us and what's going on around us, our pursuit, our focus, our goal, our mind has to be on Christ, like King Jehoshaphat in the assembly. And so that's what we talked about last week. And, and there's, I, I kind of want to continue that thought today. Uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and it, and it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own possession. Why? So that you may declare, that you may explain, that you can give praise and explain the excellencies. Right? Is that what it says? Yes. Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have a purpose. And the thing that I want to point out right now is that the greatest weapon that we, the church, has to confuse the enemy is to open our mouth with a spirit of praise in the presence of adversity and opposition. Amen. The greatest weapon you have is that no matter what is coming against me, I will open my mouth in praise. Amen. And it's the praise of the kingdom of Judah that caused confusion to fell on the enemy. And if you were to read all of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Mayonites, they all turned on each other and every single one of them was killed, yes. all of them, by each other. And again, I believe that we're entering into that season, that shift spiritually where the enemy will be confused with himself and start turning on himself. If the church remembers to take up our position to station ourselves with a posture and a position of praise. Amen? And so there's this thought that I want to I focus on today. I've titled this message, Follow Through. Follow Through, if you put the definition up there, it's basically to continue or commit to an action all the way to its conclusion. I've said this how many times this year? This ain't it. To follow through. Uh, how many of y'all are sports people? We got a few. How many of y'all love basketball? You love, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of some other follow throughs. Football, right? How about this one? Golf, right? What about baseball? Baseball, right? There, there's these, these sports fundamentals that part of that deals with follow through. I'm going to use baseball just because that's like what's fresh on my mind right now. I've been going to some woodpecker games, so like baseball's fresh on my mind, right? So you're batting, the batter has come up to the plate, and the pitch is coming. And I think, let me lay it out for you. The bases are loaded, and you're up at the plate. And the coach, he's doing his things. <laughs> Right? Did I, did I speak to anybody doing I've never played baseball, so is that a thing? <laughs> I, I, you're, I don't know. There you go. Right? And the coach is saying, Grand Slam, Grand Slam, knock it out of the park. Come on. You can do it. 
And, and it, it, you, you, you tee up. <laughs> I'm not a baseball guy. I'm a football guy. So you're at the plate. The pitch comes. And you swing. And you stop. And spiritually, you, you're bunting the ball. It's a full count, two outs, bases are loaded, and spiritually you want to bunt the ball. That's what it means to not follow through. Now, if you, if you had all the fundamentals correctly, this is what discipleship is called. You had all the fundamentals down, you've been practicing, you're practicing your swing, and you followed through all the way, you'd hit a grand slam. But spiritually we're unsure. I don't know. What if I strike out? What, what, if I, what if I don't hit the ball correctly and I just do a single and, 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 and somebody gets out and then the game is over? The Holy Spirit has empowered you and enabled you to hit a grand slam every single time Amen. if you commit to follow through. Amen. So spiritually speaking, it's not, it, it, stop pulling up on the bat. Stop pulling up on the swing. Stop pulling back. Follow through. Commit to it. Yes. Why? Because it's not a fair fight, and it's not a fair game. Because in reality, you're up 100 to 1 because you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb. You're more than. And, and so you're scared to, to hit a home run because maybe you're thinking, well, we're, we're just way too ahead. Play, anybody played football? And like, it's like you watch college ball, and it's like 62 to 7. It's like, bro, just run the ball. Stop. Just, just take a knee every time. That, that's, not, that's not how we're supposed to live. Stop taking a knee. Stop bunting the ball. Hit a grand slam, throw a touchdown every single time. That's what God has enabled you and empowered you to do. Because you are more than, an, more than an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. It's never supposed to be a fair fight. So don't think that it's a fair fight. The devil's already lost. And every time we shut our mouth and refuse to praise, every time we refuse to engage in worship, we've given the enemy another point. And that's what we talked about last week. Take up your position. Stand. Follow through. That's what I want to talk about today. Follow through. I love what the psalmist says in this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Always. Always. I think of David in the valley against Goliath. The first thing he does is says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. The praise is directed to God. I think of Joshua in the valley, and he says, God, if you would just make the sun stand still, I will wipe out the entire enemy that stands against us. But what if Joshua did not follow through with his request? What if God stopped the sun and Joshua was like, well, all right. Wasn't expecting that, God. And I think that's the mindset that cripples us sometimes. We, we make this uh, audacious request and demand of God, and he follows through with it. But we lack the confidence to follow through on our part. So that's what I want to talk about today. Because Jesus had the power and the confidence and the ability to follow through yes. to the point of death. And even at death, follow through to resurrection. And I love the, I'll call it this, I love the temptation that was given to Jesus multiple times. As the, as the, as the, the uh, 
As the people were coming to arrest Jesus in the garden, Peter knocks off one of their ears with a sword. And Jesus is like, listen, don't you understand that I could command a legion of angels to come down here and rescue me? But I won't. Because it's more important for me to follow through with the mission. And then hanging on the cross, people cried out to Jesus, hey, you're the son of God. Why don't you just come off that cross? Let us, let us show, show us who you are by coming off the cross. We'll believe if you come off the cross. You can do it. You're the son of God. It's more important for me to go through with this, to follow through. Because if I don't follow through, I don't fulfill the law and the prophets. So that's when I, I want to hit that today. If, if, if Jesus calls us to live the life of, and power of Jesus Christ, then we should have the faith, the confidence, and the ability to follow through with everything. And what we hit last week was the power of praise and to follow through until, until its conclusion, meaning that his praise will ever be on my lips, always, until the end of time. And even when we get to heaven, even after he comes to take his children home, we will join the angels in singing praise all the time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. This is constantly going and being sang. Praises are constantly going around. The, the voice of heaven is full with the praises of God. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So if you're not doing it now, best believe one day you will be, Amen. whether you're a child of God or not, because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, every single part of me, not just the words of my mouth, but everything that is within me. I love what Jesus says. Jesus confronts this. He says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. They lack the follow-through. They lack all that is within them, giving praise. We have to be all in. All in, continuing in action. Uh, I use this illustration Wednesday night, first Wednesday uh, here at Reclamation Church. We do a worship prayer service, and this first Wednesday we, we started uh, actual uh, bringing of the message, people preaching the word. And Bobby brought an awesome message about continuing no matter what and having that, that uh, commitment and that steadfastness. There's that word again from last year. To go on no matter what. And, and I was reminded of being in the army and going on these eight-mile, ten-mile runs. No? Is that y'all still do that? Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's always one, two, three, maybe five that can't make it. There's even a cadence that we sing with it. But part of it goes, your weak little heart can't take it. And there's this thing in the army we call tiny heart syndrome, THS. Uh, Jesus says here, you worship me with your words, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, you got a tiny heart syndrome. You, you can't hang. You're not giving me all of it. You're not following through. You're not staying committed to the victory that you already have. Your weak little heart can't take it. And so when we allow God to work in our life, that's why he says, take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, a new heart. Create in me a clean heart, a strong heart. 
When I think of a clean heart, I think of a brand new heart. You look at a, a, a cardio, uh, what are they called? No, like a heart transplant. Is, is there a medical term for that? Well, praise God. <laughs> you look at a heart transplant, they put a brand new heart in. Or a cleaner heart. And enables you to, to be stronger and go further and be more physically fit. And so sometimes we just need a, we, we just need a heart transplant. Look at somebody and say, I need a heart transplant. We have to have the... Y'all were weak on that one. Wow. Weak little hearts can't take, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> here's the thing, right? In sports, we look at, you throw a touchdown, it's a goal. You, throw a ba- you, you make a basket, right? Buckets. It's a goal, right? You hit a golf ball, it's a hole in one. Is it a goal? Something. But listen, the goal is only as good and successful as the follow through. Let me say it like this. The vision that you have is only attained by following through. Amen. Committed, no matter what. Continuing the task and action to conclusion. In other words, uh, we don't respond to the things of this world the way that the world does. Why? Because we are set apart. We're different. Look at somebody and say, I'm different. I'm different. Somebody are like, yeah, I know. <laughs> We're different. So we don't respond the way that the world does. The world wants to quit. The world wants to give up. There's no commitment. The world has a faithfulness issue. But the child of God is committed to the end because our father was committed to the end. And he's faithful to complete the work in your life. We are committed. We are set apart. First, first Peter 2.9. Let me read it again. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And there's a theme that I want you to see here throughout this entire verse is this. We make one. We, it says you are a chosen people. That's plural. A royal priesthood, that's plural. A holy nation, that's plural. God's own possession, That's God's. We make one. We have to stop going through life as me makes one. We make one. The body came together on the day of Pentecost, unified, and the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them. The assembly came together in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, what we read last week, and the word of God was revealed, the promise of God was revealed, the salvation of the Lord was revealed in the midst of the assembly, unified. We make one. Amen. All of these attributes that Peter names are plural in nature, but unified in the spirit. And we have a purpose to declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want to remind you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I love what verse 16 says, your light must shine. That's a command. Your light must shine. Above all else in this world, 
the light of Christ must shine through you. Not, y'all buckle in. Not political agendas. Not political opinions. Can I say it? I said it. The light of Christ must shine. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That light must shine through us. Not opinions, not political agendas, not, uh, not political preferences, not uh, the way that we want church to be, not the way we want our boss to act. None of that should shine. Not, not one thing should show us that God is not existent in our life. Everything that we say and do should glorify the Father. In other words, we should think before we act. Does this glorify God? Does this bring attention? Let me say it that way. Does this bring attention to the Father or does it bring attention to me? Or does this bring attention to the Father or does this bring attention to the things of this world? Because we're following through this world. And we're following the God of the ages, the ancient of days, the holy one, the mighty one. We are following him through this world. So everything that we say and everything that we do should glorify the Father. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We have purpose in our heart and in our mind that everything we say and do declares praise to God. Everything we say and do de declares praise. Because he's not just called us out of darkness and into his light. He has made us more than overcomers in the light. Darkness cannot comprehend the light. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than the sins that you have committed. You are more than the darkness that wants to surround you. You are more than the mistakes. You are more than the failures. You are more than the blemishes on your record. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ has wiped the slate clean. So stop living anchored in those things. Follow through. Stop bunting. To be anchored in those things is to be bunting for the rest of your life. And you'd be lucky to make first base. Because a bunt is usually a sacrificial bunt. You're out. Am I right? I don't play baseball, but am I right? Sometimes. Sometimes. We understand that we are more than conquerors. But we are only victorious when we belong to the victor. It was after King Jehoshaphat submitted to and sought after God that the promise of victory was spoken over the people. Remember, Jehaziel said, you don't even need a fight. You just got to show up and stand and see. You just got to take your position. But it was after praise was given to God that the victory was revealed. And a victory belongs to God because he said, stand and watch the salvation of the Lord. In other words, that means stand and see the victory of God. God owns the victory, is what that's saying. Stand and see God's victory. And if victory belongs to God, and Peter tells us that we are also God's possession, then by law of relationship, we are victorious. We are also victorious because God owns victory and God owns us. We are his possession. He possesses the victory, the victory that over, even overcame death, hell, and the grave. That's why Jesus said that same power. Yeah. 
The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same power that gave him victory over death, hell, and the grave lives in you. Wow! Look at somebody, and you better say this right. Look at somebody and say, I am victorious. I want to hear it. Are you victorious? Are you living in victory? Amen. Give God some praise. Are you alive today? Amen. I pray that this is the day that we wake up, and I pray that this is the day of awakening for those that are asleep, not to be culturally woke, but to be spiritually awakened. Amen. Amen? Why? Because we are a holy nation. What is a holy nation? A holy nation is something, it's a nation within a nation. It's a nation set apart. It's God's people. This ain't it. That no matter what's going on around me, the nation, the holy nation, completely outdoes and outshines this nation. Can I just say that? Yeah. I am, we are blessed. We are blessed to be in the U.S. of A. Hallelujah. Yeah. We are blessed. But we are even more blessed to be part of a holy nation. Amen. Governors, presidents, congressmen, congressmen, they can do what they want. I serve a God who sits on a throne. Yes. Amen. Amen. We are a chosen people. Let me break this down really quick. We are a chosen people. That chosen people right there, people, also in some other version says race. I am a cho- you are a chosen race. In other words, we are kin. There in the Greek, race means kin. We are family. We are family. But here's the problem. Making sure y'all are awake. <laughs> I was talking with my daughters about this the other day. You know, kids, they got to fight. They got to argue. Sibling, sibling rivalry. They, they got to. That's, God created them to argue. Just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I am, that is a joke. <laughs> but they like, they, like to, they like to fight. And I looked at them the other day. I said, how is it? Because they just spent time with their cousins, they just spent time with some other kids. I said, how is it that you can treat friends better than your own sister? Hey, I'll raise my hand because I'm guilty. I will ask, ask my spouse. I love my spouse. But sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm human. Sometimes I'll treat y'all better than I treat my spouse. And I think here in the church, sometimes we'll treat people at the church better than we treat our home family. Can we just be honest about that? We are a chosen people. We are family. We are kin. How is it we will treat people of the world better than we treat our own family? That's, That's the confusion that I'm hitting right now. The confusion that the enemy has brought into the church to to divide and dissect the church and infiltrate the church to turn family against family, member against member. 
I want, us, I want us to change our thinking and our, and, our, and our perception on this, that we are a family, and family is, is far more important than the people outside of the family. But we are unified in bringing other people into the family. But here's the thing. Who's going to want to join a family that's always tearing each other down and ripping each other apart? You're a chosen family, a chosen people. And then he says, you are a royal priesthood. See, in Israel, under the law, one tribe, the Levites. If you know anything about this, you've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've read the law. You've read the Torah. You've read the first five books of the Bible. If you've read this at all, one tribe was uh, responsible under the law as serving as priests, performing the duties as mediators, listen, between God and and the nation. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. And if we are to take that responsibility uh, to, to its fullness, then we should be mediators between God and our nation. Even a nation that's in turmoil, even a nation that has turned its back against the church, even a nation that wants to implement things that tears against the church. You are a royal priesthood that should be interceding and, mediate, and, and praying for this nation. That was the role and responsibility of the Levites, of the royal priesthood. In and through Christ the King, all believers are priests with direct access to the Father. And then he says, you are a holy nation, a specific group of people called out and set apart from all other nations. We are different. Praise God. We are different. Other versions say you are a peculiar people. Some of y'all are peculiar. (laughs) We're a family. You know, every family has a nut or two. I'm the nut. Okay, we're... We are different, we, and because we are different, we have to look different, act different, feel different. We are not persuaded by the things of this world. Now hear me today. We cannot be persuaded by the things of this world. On the contrary, Paul tells us what we are persuaded by. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, I am convinced or I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, my persuasion, the things that persuade me, the things that convince me, the things that, that tell me how to live my life come from the heart of God, from the love of God from the love of the Father. And this is where I want to focus today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That no matter what comes against me in this world, no matter what is going on around me, no matter what kind of hard time I'm in with my relationship with my spouse, no matter how, what kind of relationship I'm in at work that's just tearing me apart between boss and supervisor and me, none of that can separate me from the love of God because the love of God is more important than the love of this world. This world pales in comparison. You are a holy nation. Everything you say and do should come from the heart of the Father. Because the God that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. 
My pursuit should always be to get to get to him just one step closer, one step deeper, because the world is anchored in its chaos. And when the world wants to stay anchored in its chaos, I want to be walking on the waters. Amen. The living water even. But that only happens when I commit to and continue to be set apart. This is one I hit today. I've said this multiple times. If we are children of the Father, we are, we are children of God, we are part of the family of God, then we, we, we take the whole word of God, all of it, to heart. Every single word must reside in my heart. Old Testament and New Testament. All of it. Look at somebody and say, everything. Every word. This is what I want you to see. First Peter 2, 9. We just read it. You are chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 with me. See, Israel, Israel has just come out of Egypt. They've made their way to this place called Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19 opens up. This has been three months to the day. They finally got out of Egypt. Three months later, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai where Moses makes his way up the mountain to meet God. If you know anything about this story, this is where God receives, or this is where Moses receives from God the Ten Commandments and the law. Starting here in Exodus chapter 19, he starts to make his way up Mount Sinai. He doesn't come down till Exodus chapter 32. That's a lot of time in the presence of God. We'll get to that in just a second. So he's making his way up to receive the law. And this is what I want you to notice, what I want to focus on today. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. It says, now then, this is God speaking to Moses, now then if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Look Look at this one. And you shall be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter, right here in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, is a callback to this moment where God is calling Moses up higher to give and to reveal to him the law. And I want to break this down for a second. He says, if you obey my voice, which means you have to be in tune to his voice, which means you have to have all of the other voices of this world tuned down so that you can hear the voice of God. And I've preached on this a few times, we, we want to hear this loud, booming voice of God and know, oh yeah, this is it. This is totally it. L- l- let me sit right here for just a second. You can't hear the voice of God if you've already made up your decision of what he said. We want to hear this loud, booming voice. Yep, that was God. But what does the prophet say? He says he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in all of this chaos, he wasn't in all of this great big noise. Instead, it was a still small voice, it was a whisper. Because it's all about relationship. He wants you to get closer to him so that you can hear his voice. He says, if you obey my voice, which means we have to be tuned in. I love what Jesus says, if, uh, he says that his sheep hear his voice. And because of that, they know him and follow him. I want you to hear this, follow. Log that in your brain, follow. They know his voice and they follow him. And here's the thing, 
A voice is an active expression of words. Meaning, when, when we read this, I mean, we all understand the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. So this is part of obeying the voice of God. This is part of hearing the voice of God. But also, hearing the voice means that I have to be in open communication always. To hear His voice and to know His voice and to follow after Him. And that's the one thing, I said this last week, it's the one thing that sets Christians apart from the world, that we have God with us, and He openly communicates with His children always. If we would just open our ears to listen. And then He says this, first you obey my voice, then He says, if you keep my covenant. During our So This Is Love series, we talked about this. Uh, a, a covenant is an invitation to relationship. It's an agreement that brings relationship between God and his people. In other words, it's an invitation to partner with God. If you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession. The victory is yours. Then the victory is yours. Then the benefits of the kingdom are yours. Then all of these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. All of these things will be added unto you. So let me hit this. Moses is about to receive the law. He hasn't received the commandments yet. So as Moses is headed up the mountain, God says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. After Moses receives the law, then God rewords that. Now notice I didn't say he changes it because God does not change. He rewords it. In other words, God revealed another layer and another dimension of who he is to Moses. He says, because from here on, after, after the law is revealed and given to Moses, after Moses receives the Ten Commandments and the law, it changes or it's reworded from keep my covenant to keep my commandments. In Deuteronomy and Joshua, as the children of Israel are moving into Canaan, as they're moving into the promised land, God says, if you keep my commandments, then there is blessing. Why did that change? Why did he reword that? How did it go from keep my covenant to keep my commandments? Why? Because it's always been about relationships. Let me say it like this. Think of it like this. When we come into a covenant with our spouse, we get married, we are, don't take this the wrong way, but we are bound to our spouse. Amen? We, we, we are one with our spouse. When we come into covenant agreement in marriage, we become one with our spouse. We are bound to our spouse. In other words, we are confined to the limitations of marriage. If we go outside of those limitations the relationship fails. Does this make sense? We come into covenant agreement. We understand that there's boundaries to keep our marriage blessed, to keep our marriage thriving. The moment you step out of that boundary, everything begins to fall apart. So, so out of love, God deposits the law into Moses' lap. Why? Because it's, here's the covenant. I want you to keep my covenant but in order for you to keep the covenant, because I want to bless you, I want to pour out so much blessing off upon you, but in order for me to continue to do that and for you to continue to live in the blessing of the family, you need to know the left and right limits. 
You need to know the boundaries of my covenant. So I'm going to show you the boundaries. Here's the law. And it's religion that has corrupted the meaning of the law. You think about it. I hear this a lot, even from, from, from people that I know. They'll come up and say, well, we don't, we no longer, we don't do Old Testament. We're, we're under the new, new Testament. We're a New Testament church. And I'm like, are you, are you a child of God? Because the child of God listens to all of the word of God, not just part. Yes, there's a new covenant. Yes, there's a new testament. But the new covenant is just a full revelation of the old covenant. It's a new dimension of the old covenant. It's just something revealed differently from the old covenant. It, in other words, uh, we want, the law was given to show how we can stay within the love of God. Out of love, he gives us the law. That make sense? To keep us within confines and the construct of covenant, out of love. And religion is the thing that came in and said, all right, we have to do this this way. It was all, it's always been about relationship, to stay in relationship. But religion made it more about the law than the love. So to fix that, God was like, okay, they're not getting it. All they see is the blood of animals and killing animals. They don't even see why I'm wanting them to do this. So I'm going to send myself to show them. And so we see Jesus come. And through the love of God, God demonstrates his love toward us by sending his son while we were still sinners to die on the cross for us. We see the love of God fully revealed in Jesus Christ. We talked about this in the, in the Believe series. Amen? So God revealed the law to Moses to show the boundaries of relationship. Just like any relationship, if you operate outside of that, the relationship fails. But even if we fail, God made a way to come back into relationship. That was the whole point of sacrifices. To come back into relationship. Love. It's always been about love. And what the devil is good at is bringing confusion into the mix and creating religion over relationship. That's what I love about the early church in Acts chapter 2. When the early church was birthed, they were birthed in unity. In other words, they were birthed in relationship. It wasn't a new religion. It was a new movement. It wasn't a new organization. It was a new organism. It was alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we tend to place this negative perception on the law. In other words, we, we look at the cannots of the law. Well, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. But in reality, God was like, look, here's my son Jesus to show you the freedoms of what you can do because of my love. Amen. Stop looking at what you can't do and look at what you can do. Look at what I've enabled you to do in the kingdom. Follow through. Stop looking at what's in this world around you and look at the kingdom, which you are enabled to do and empowered to do. And I want you to see this today, that Peter, from a new covenant perspective and a new covenant experience, this is Peter, from this new covenant experience, does it reach back to an old covenant understanding to remind the church who we truly are, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we need to understand that if we are a people of the word, then that means all of the word. Because all of the word is the full gospel of Jesus Christ. We look at it this way. Remember the Believe series. Jesus was the full revelation of God, full of grace and truth. Can I say it like this? The Old Testament was the law. 
or the truth. And the New Testament is the love or the grace. We see the full revelation of God through the word, full of grace and truth, looking at both Old and New Testament. So we have to understand that the law of the Old Testament was a representation of God's love to keep us in covenant relationship with him. And that Jesus truly showed us how law and love collide to bring us in relationship. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I've come to abolish or cancel the law. No, I've come to fulfill it. I've even heard people say like this, Jesus didn't just fulfill the law, he raised the standard. Think of it, the law said don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you even look at another woman in lust, you've committed adultery. That just raised the standard. The, the Old Testament, the law said, don't murder. And Jesus said, even if you look at your brother and say, I hate you, you've committed murder in your soul, in your spirit. He just raised the standard. So Jesus didn't come to abolish or cancel the law. We got this whole canceled mindset. Jesus canceled it. No, the only thing Jesus canceled was my debt. Amen. He fulfilled the law by doing that. Amen. I came to fulfill them. And look what he says in John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, this is Jesus in the New Testament saying this. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. There it is again. Love. If you keep my law, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his law. The law of God is intertwined with the love of God. Why? Because God is love. And if he revealed all of this to Moses, it was out of love that he revealed it. Can I, can I, can I get an amen? amen? And God does not change. So what he revealed to Moses is fulfilled through Jesus. Pastor, what do you mean by that? The law was established to keep us in relationship with God, and Jesus fulfilled that purpose. He didn't just abolish, or he didn't abolish the law. He raised the standard. In other words, he raised the foundation a little bit higher because Jesus is our foundation. Can I get the, the, the worship team up here so I can wrap this up? He is our foundation. He is the foundation that we build our life upon. We sing that song, I will build my life upon your love, and that's all I'll sing of that. <laughs> so here's the thing, and, and I heard this uh, from another pastor He's the foundation. You decide what you build upon the foundation. Isn't that awesome? I saw that and I was like, I got to say that one. That's good. You decide what you build upon the foundation. And here's the thing. He said it like this. Make sure you, you, you are using quality materials and not cheap ones. Because it was, it's an expensive foundation. So don't cheapen the cross by using cheap materials to build your life. Use quality materials. Would you stand with me as we close? Why? Because God deserves our best anyway. And if we are living in covenant in relationship with God the Father, then our life should reflect that. So when people look at us, they should see quality not cheapness. It's like the man who built his house on the sand and the storm came and it washed away. 
put it in perspective, put it in a modern day perspective, it's like the pig who built his house out of straw. The big bad wolf came and huffed and it puffed and blew his house down. And, and so the little pig runs and hides with his brother who built his house out of sticks. Here comes big bad wolf. Here comes big bad devil. And he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. So finally they run, run to their other brother's house who was made out of brick, made out of stone, quality. And big bad wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs. And the three little pigs make it. Quality. Your life should reflect the quality of Christ. Now, because of Jesus and his work in our life, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession, and our life should reflect that. Everything that we say and do should be quality, spiritually speaking, even physically speaking. Everything should be quality. Now, this is what I want you to see. I said all of this to finally get to my subject verse, Paul. We're finally here. I told y'all I did this differently. I'll go through it quick. Exodus 19, we see Moses going up the mountain, Mount Sinai. We finally get to Exodus chapter 32. Twelve chapters, Moses has been up on the mountain. And finally, the people are getting restless. They're like, okay, listen up. Where's this Moses guy? He's been up on this mountain for who knows how long. We need a leader. We need to see things. We need, Tim, I'm taking it. We need certainty. I need to be certain that we came out of Egypt for a reason. So they get together like, hey, you know what, God, or you know what, Aaron, let, let's, let's see some certainty about us. Who knows what happened to Moses? We're uncertain about Moses. Moses is up doing his thing. Who knows if he's even alive? We haven't seen him in how long? 12 chapters. <laughs> so Aaron's like, okay, yeah, bring, bring me your quality. Bring me your gold all of the things that are of quality to you. And we'll make, we'll make an idol. Exodus chapter 32. Moses comes down from the mountain. And I imagine he meets Joshua halfway. Because Joshua's mentioned in here. Did I lose it again? He meets Joshua halfway down the mountain, and Joshua says, hey, Moses, uh, I, I know you've been up in the presence of God, but it sounds like, I want you to stick with me on this, it sounds like war is going on in the camp. And Moses is like, nah, that's just singing. But this is what I want you to hear. I, want, I felt God speaking this to me when I read this. Joshua was right. 
war had entered the camp spiritually. The enemy had infiltrated and the people were sacrificing quality. The people were sacrificing goods, their livelihoods, all that they were, their reputations to an idol because they wanted to be certain. They had to see something physically. There they are praising the idol. This is what I want. This, I feel like this is a message for the church, just like last week. We have to be careful. Because this is what Aaron says. Aaron, Aaron himself, who would eventually become a priest, tribe of Levite and Aaron. Read it. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Aaron himself fashioned and built the idol. Praise God for his redemption, if you know the story of Aaron after that. But Aaron says this after he builds it. He says, behold the God that brought you out of Egypt. They had to be certain. They had to see it with their own eyes. And this is what I want the church to be careful. Be careful attributing God's power Be careful attributing God's victory. Be careful attributing God's salvation to the things of this world. In other words, sometimes we make our nation that we're in physically our golden calf. Can I say it? Sometimes we make make our political party our golden calf. Sometimes we make our political agenda a movement, an organization, whatever it is, whatever it is in this world that takes our passion, that takes our focus, that takes our attention, that's what an idol is. And we sacrifice quality to this certainty. But if it's man-made, can I tell you certainly it will pass away. So they say, let's let's create this thing. Let's build this golden calf. But here's the thing. Idols like this golden calf will only keep you anchored, stationary, and static, and stagnant. See, Moses stayed on the mountain in the presence of the living God. And when he came down from the mountain, over the next 40 years, I feel like, Paul, this is why God did this, because they wanted to focus on their their passion and attention on a golden calf that was stationary and static and, and dead. So over the next 40 years, they had to follow a living and moving God. Until that generation died out. For the rest of their life, they followed a living and moving God. Look at the blessing of God. So Moses, while all of the people are building this golden calf and worshiping this golden calf, Moses is up on the mountain, and he comes down, and he sees all this, and he gets mad, and he throws down the law, and the tablets break. See, God downloaded the law into some tablets. 
the tablets. I had to say that dad joke. Tablets break. So Moses has to go back up. He corrects all this. I'm, I'm, for brevity's sake, go back and read Exodus 32 to see what happens. So Moses goes back up to the mountain to re-download the law to his tablets. While he's up there, Moses says this in Exodus chapter 33. He, he, he says, God, show me your glory. See, the people were like, I need, we need certainty. So let's make something out of our own hands to have certainty. But, but Moses in the presence of the living God says, show me your glory. The thing that is alive, the thing that is moving, the thing that is breathing. Show me your glory, God. Show me your value. People sacrifice quality for the value that they wanted to get to, to celebrate and to worship. But I want to celebrate your value, God. Show me your value. Show me your glory. And I love what God says to Moses. He says, I myself. I love that. We have that as children of God. God himself. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And listen to this, you shall stand there on a rock. And it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will hide you in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. That's, that's huge what happens here. Let me, let me break this down just for a second. He says, you shall see my back. The literal translation of this in the Hebrew is, you will see where I have been. I will put you in the, in the cleft of the rock. I will hide you in the rock and cover you with my hand. And when I take my hand off of you, you will see every footprint of where I have been. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now take that into account. Remember that Deuteronomy 39 through 10 says, Now the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, that if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his way. How do we see his way? By being hidden in the cleft of the rock with God's hand covering us. Pastor, what do you mean? I know a rock named Jesus Christ. That was the old covenant. In the new covenant, in the New Testament, Jesus, the rock, made it a way for us to hide in him and God's hand to be on us and cover us so that when we see the glory of God, we see where he has been in our life. And that becomes our testimony that we talked about by the blood of the lamb being hidden and covered in the blood. And we see where God has been and at work in our life. But here's the conundrum. You might be remembering, but God said, if you look at me, my face, you'll die. Praise God. Because in the new covenant, we see God's face in Jesus Christ. 
And when we live in the salvation of the Lord, completely transformed, we become a new creation. All things have died. Behold, all things are new. Yes, you look upon the face of Jesus, you will die. Praise God, because he just wants to do something new in your life to build a foundation upon him, to be hidden in the rock of Jesus Christ with the hand of God over your life, changing and transforming you and making you completely new. Hallelujah. And here's the thing, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you continue reading the story of Moses, Moses comes down from the mountain after the hand of God was covering him and his face shone brightly, so bright that the people were terrified. So he had to cover his face, but now we with unveiled face. Behold as in a mirror the glory of God being transformed from glory to glory. To why proclaim the excellencies when people look upon your face they should see the glory of God. When people look at you, they should see the light of the world. Everything that you say and do should bring glory and honor to the Father. Do you have faith? Do you have a commitment and a steadfastness and a loyalty and the faithfulness to follow through? That no matter what comes against you, my face will shine. Hide it under a veil, oh no. I'm going to let it shine. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to this week's message from Reclamation Church. We pray it was a blessing to you. We want to encourage you to take this message everywhere, everywhere with you and pour into those around you. And if you would love to be a blessing to the Reclamation Church ministry, you can easily give at our website at reclamationchurch.faith. Scroll down to the bottom and click on online giving. Or you can even text to give any dollar amount to 84321 and set up a giving account with Reclamation Church. Again, we pray that this was a blessing. Be a blessing to those around you this week. And may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you with the light of his countenance and, be, uh, and give you peace this week. Amen. Be blessed.